Good morning. Good morning. Fifth and sixth graders, you're dismissed to, to head down a breakaway. Well, how y'all doing? Uh, super excited as usual to be up here. Pastor Mark's taking a vacation day, and, and uh, we're going to go ahead and let him finish up the Revelation series. Um, so today I'm going to be uh, speaking out of 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17. Uh, before, before we start, though, I'd like to uh, make an announcement. Uh, Pastor Mark asked me to, to mention this as we started today. Um, concerning the pledges for the building campaign, um, if you pledge to give a monthly gift and you have not started yet, I uh, just want to go ahead and encourage you, um, if you're able, to go ahead and start that. Um, again, we want to thank everybody for your generous pledges. Um, it's going to help us down the road to have a to have an idea of what, what the monthly giving looks like. So that would be awesome. Uh, so why don't we start today by reading our passage. Um, 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Can we pray as we start? Father, we thank you, Lord, for for this passage today, and and we thank you for bringing us all here. Um, Lord... We're going to talk today about um, about your son and about your gospel and how it's for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We just ask that you would illuminate for us um, the scripture and show us what you have for each and every one of us. And Lord, above all, may you get the glory. Uh, soften our hearts to hear your truths today. And it's in your son Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. So... I titled today's message, Jesus Came to Save Dirtbags. Before you throw tomatoes, let me explain. Um, some of you have heard uh, me tell this story before, as I often tell part of it um, during my testimony. Um, and in our passage today, we're going to see Paul give briefly his testimony. Uh, my wife and I started attending NCF in, in January of 2004. And uh, Janelle and I had just been married about seven months prior and we had been looking for a church. Um, I knew that I wanted God back in my life, and at the same time, I didn't. I'm not going to give the whole testimony today, but but here's a quick overview. Seven years prior to us coming to New Creation, um, I heard the gospel for the first time, and I responded to it in faith. And, and for nine months, I walked with God pretty strongly. And then for a couple of really bad reasons um, that we're not going to get into today, I walked away. Uh, fast forward through seven years of, of some pretty heavy sinning, and I found myself sitting there at Midway Elementary on the metal chairs uh, listening to Pastor Mark preach. Uh, week to week, as 
as I went and over and over I heard the messages and um, the only interaction that I had with Jesus or his people was on Sunday morning. During the week I was still uh, the same old sinful berry. But I clearly remember one Sunday morning very vividly. Uh, Pastor Mark was talking about discipleship. He was talking about growing closer to Christ through your daily walk. At that point, I remember completely tuning him out for the rest of the service. Uh, I found myself looking around at everybody else thinking, am I the only dirtbag sitting here? I remember wondering if they could see sinner written all over my forehead. Um, at, I believe at the time that I was saved, um, I believed that God had changed my heart and, and brought me out of the darkness. And it was because of my desires to please myself and to hold on to the things that weren't of God, to hold on to my idols, I doubted my salvation a lot. But at some point, I began to actually start listening to Pastor Mark's sermons. I began to pick up the Bible and, and look up the things that we were talking about and study the gospel and, and grace and mercy and, and seeing what the Bible had to say about my own sin. I had struggled to believe that God could love somebody like me. I would read the really popular verse, God so loved most of the world that he sent his only son. But that's, that's not what it says. It very clearly says that God so loved the world. I started to see in the Bible that the heroes in the Bible were also dirtbags just like me. Take Moses, for instance. Moses was a great man. He stood up for his people. He battled Pharaoh. He let God use him to bring his people out of bondage. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. But he also murdered a man. Murdered a man with his bare hands. He didn't use a gun. He didn't use a knife, a baseball bat, or a car. He took a man's life in his own hands and he ended it. And then after that, God chose him to lead his people out of slavery. How about King David? The Bible says that King David was a man after God's own heart. We all remember him defeating the giant. Um, he was the best king that Israel had known up to that point. But David also... He took advantage of a woman. He got her pregnant. And then he used his power as a king to send her off to war to be killed. Her husband, sorry. <laughs> Not her. So she was married. What a dirtbag, right? In our passage today, Paul tells Timothy that the reason God saved him, the reason that God rescued him, and the reason that he had called him to himself was so that you and I would be unable to say, God can't possibly love me, that I'm too bad, that I've gone too far. I'm too much of a dirtbag. Our passage today tells us that we are exactly who Jesus came to save. So today I want to focus on, on this one main point, and that's that we should regularly remind ourselves how God's sufficient grace saved us from our sins. Um, I thought it was awesome that Matt chose um, the passage that he chose today uh, to set up communion because it is exactly, that would be a verse you could read to yourself every single day. So take out your Bibles, um, take out your note sheets, and we're going to dive right in. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you or behind you. Let's do this. Number one, 
The gospel is the message of God's sufficient, transforming grace for sinners. Look at verse 16 again. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. So what is the gospel? It's a word that gets thrown around a lot. Let's take a minute to, uh, to answer that. The word gospel is mentioned 93 times in the Bible, and every single one of those is in the New Testament. Um, in the Greek, the word uh, gospel is pronounced euagelion. I literally wrote Y-O-U-U-H-G-E-L-I-U-N so that I would know how to say that. Um, <laughs> which we get our English words evangelist and evangelical from. Uh, the key to understanding the gospel is to know that, it's, that it literally means good news. And in order for us to know why it's good news, we have to know that there's bad news. God gave us the Old Testament law during the time of Moses. He recorded that in Deuteronomy 5, verses 1 through 21. Uh, we're not going to read that today, but he gave him the Ten Commandments. And the law is thought to be a measuring stick. And sin is anything that falls short of perfection of the law. The righteous requirements of the law are so high that no human being could possibly follow it perfectly. Despite how good or bad each of us are compared to each other, we're all in the same boat. We're all coming up short. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God made it clear uh, that the punishment for sin is death and eternal separation from himself, he who is the source of life. And in order for there to be good news, God had to make a way for us to be with him for eternity rather than an eternity separated from him. In order for us to be with him forever, sin must somehow be removed or paid for. Hebrews 9.22 said this about sin said, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Uh, the elements of the gospel uh, are clearly stated by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 3 through 11. Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, for I delivered to you as, the first, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church, of God. But by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. The entire Old Testament points to this event, points to Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection defeating death. He lived the perfect life, keeping the law that we couldn't keep. 
And then his blood was spilled and he took our sins upon himself and the wrath that we deserved for those sins. The entire Bible is the gospel. Gospel is good news when we understand that we cannot and do not earn our own salvation. The work of Jesus was finished on the cross and Jesus satisfied the wrath for our sins when his blood was shed. The gospel is received by faith. Salvation is a gift of God. Matt's verses this morning, the the next two verses say this in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God gives us faith to believe in Jesus and in the gospel. I think it's key to remember that it's a gift and that there's nothing we can do because I think it's a real, real strong tendency for most of us to, uh, to wake up every morning and think, all right, I got to get this done and this done and this done so that God will love me. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that. So if you're feeling guilt for not reading your Bible or, or coming to church, that's, that's not what God's trying to pro- make you hear. He wants you to come to church so that you will be with him and his people. He wants you to read the Bible so that you'll come to know him better. The Apostle John explains why he wrote his gospel in John 20, verses 31. He said this, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The gospel is based on God's mercy and grace. Take a look at verses 13 and 14 again. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. God's mercy and grace, they get confused an awful lot. That Both the terms have pretty similar meanings, but they are not the same. Mercy is God not punishing us for what we deserve. And grace is God blessing us despite the fact that we don't deserve it. In verse 14, God's grace overflowed. Or in other words, it flooded over Paul. It's like this picture of an ocean wave crashing onto him over and over again without end. But not only is God's grace overflowing, but also his faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. God is the supplier of everything. He is the supplier of everything that we need for life and godliness. Peter told us this in 2 Peter 1.3. He said, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. God gives us faith and we believe in Christ. He fills us with love of Christ and that spills over to others. Paul did not deserve his calling, which he tells us over and over again throughout each letter that he writes. Um, He says, I do not deserve this calling because I once falsely taught that you must keep the law in order to be saved. Our next two points in the outline, I want to apologize. I sort of mixed them up and intermingled them together. So don't be confused. Paul recognizes the gospel transforms sinners into servants of Jesus. 
He says in verse 12 and 13 that Jesus judged him faithful and appointed him to his service. He says, I I blasphemed and I persecuted and I insulted Christ. Take a look at Ephesians 4, verses 10 through 16. He says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave us apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Catch that part in the middle when he said that he gave us all these people to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, to equip the saints for service. Jesus Christ didn't come to serve. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And his greatest act of service was on the cross. Paul says that he was appointed to Jesus' service. And each one of us, when we are saved, are also appointed to his service. He says that the Lord strengthened him and that he will strengthen us as well. He wants us to be faithful like Paul was faithful. The aim of the gospel is not to get a bunch of people to be churchgoers for an hour on Sunday like I myself did. The aim is to transform us into servants of himself, those who seek to glorify God 24-7, 365 days a year. So why did, why did Christ choose the chief persecutor of the church to become the chief missionary of the church? The answer is very clear in verses 15 and 16. Christ did this so that this morning you and I would grasp the message that the gospel is for sinners. No one who trusts Christ is beyond the reach of change. Let's look at 15 and 16 again. Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Christ picked the dirtbag of dirtbags to demonstrate to us today his mercy and grace and what it can do in our lives. So don't belittle the mercy of God by saying, I can't be changed. Paul says it's the grace of Christ which changed him from great sinner to great apostle. And the closer that we get to God, the more aware of our sins we become. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. He said, when a man is getting better, He understands more and more clearly the evil that is still in him. And when a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. Okay. We also need to regularly remind ourselves of who we were before Jesus saved us. 
So here's four things as we, as we wrap up today. Uh, four things that reminding himself of the gospel did for Paul and will do for us. Regular reminders of the gospel will make us thankful. Let's jump all the way back to verse 11 and 12. Paul said this, In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. As Paul thought of the gospel of the glory of God and how it saved him from his sinful past. The first words out of his mouth were, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. To remember how much we have been forgiven is the surest way to fill our hearts with thanksgiving. Uh, regular reminders of the gospel will make us humble. 13 through 15 again. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Although Paul was a very gifted man, a very brilliant and very influential, after God saved him, he was not a proud man. You can remember back to 1 Corinthians 15.10. Uh, Paul could honestly say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He recognized that, that the humbleness and, and everything that comes from him is because of God. Charles Spurgeon uh, wrote this. He said, if you leave out Christ, you have left the sun out of the day and the moon out of the night. You've left the water out of the sea and the floods out of the river. You have left the harvest out of the year and the soul out of the body. You have left the joy out of heaven. You robbed all of its all. There is no gospel worth thinking of, much less proclaiming, if Jesus be forgotten. We must have Jesus as Alpha and Omega in all of our ministries. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. And if we get that part of it right, then we get humbleness right. Uh, regular reminders of the gospel will make us useful. Look at verse 16 one more time. He says, But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says that, that he is an example of, of God's perfect patience. If he can save somebody like me, he can save anybody. God can use Paul's story. Paul, who planted many, many churches, and many, many, many people came to Christ because of Paul's preaching. As a matter of fact, most of the New Testament's written by Paul. And if he can use Paul's story, and, and, and he can use my story, the story of a dirtbag who sat here in the, in the chairs, uh, not being used, not doing anything, and then fast forward 10 years later, and here I am, the worship pastor preaching the gospel of Christ, I can assure you that that's a miracle. And he can use you. And he can use your story, no matter how simple it is. All you got to do is tell it, because it's not your story that does the work. It's Christ and the gospel. 
Take a look at 1 Peter 3.15. Peter tells us, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I just want to challenge us all to learn to articulate the gospel clearly. If we can tell the world that Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the world, came to earth and lived a perfect life, that he chose to die on the cross for the world, that he was buried and three days later rose from the dead, defeating death and making a way for those who would believe in him to have eternity with God, then God can use us. Regular reminders of the gospel will make us worshipful. Look at the last verse, 17. It says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When Paul finishes his reflection on who he was and and who God is and, and what God has done for him, Paul can't help but break into worship. However, at this, at this particular point, he doesn't, he doesn't focus on God's goodness or his grace and mercy. Instead, Paul focuses on God's attributes, uh, which separate him from us. He says God is the king above all kings. He says that God is immortal and we are mortal. He says that God is in a realm that we can't even see. That he is the one and only God. And when we regularly remind ourselves of, of what God has saved us from and who he is. And when we regularly remind ourselves of the gospel, the only natural response is to bow down in wonder and adoration. Only our almighty God is worthy of such praise. There's only one reason, though. There's only one reason that God would send his son to save sinners. And I think above all else, the most important thing is that we regularly remind ourselves of this one point. And that is how much God loves us. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. My guess is that most of us here can repeat John three sixteen without having to read it. But I think it's super important that we don't become numb to it. It's the most popular verse, most memorized verse in all the Bible. And it gets thrown around a lot. It is the most important and most profound truth in all of the Bible. God loves you and I so much that he sacrificed his own son that we might be saved through him. As we close today, I I was wanting to sing you guys a song. I came across this song earlier this week, and uh, I think it's a great tune. Um, it's called Your Grace Finds Me. It's written by Matt Redman and Jonas Myron. Um, basically, they talk about God's grace and how it can be found all around us in the everyday moments of our lives. So let me play it for you.
there in the light of every sunrise it's there in the shadows of this life your great grace it's there on the mountain top it's there in the everyday and the mundane there in the sorrow and the dancing your great grace of such grace from the creation to the cross then from the cross into eternity your grace finds me yes your grace finds me it's there on a wedding day there in the weeping by the graveside there in the very breath we breathe your great grace save for the rich and poor save for the saint and for the sinner not for the whole wide world your great grace such grace from the creation to the cross then from the cross into eternity your grace finds me yes your grace finds me The darkest night of the soul. It's there in the sweetest songs of victory. Your grace finds me. Yes, your grace finds me. Your great grace, for such grace. Your great grace, oh, such grace, the same for the rich and poor, the same for the saint and for the sinner, enough for this whole wide world, your great grace. Such grace. So breathing out your grace, breathing out your praise, breathing out your grace forever. I'll be breathing in your grace, breathing out your praise, breathing in your grace forever. I'll be breathing in your grace.
satisfies me. Yes, your grace finds me. Yes, your grace finds me. Let's pray. Father, heard it said once that the most important thing about a person is what they think about you. Father, we have so many things to be thankful for, to give you praise for, but none more than your gift of your son, than the gift of your gospel. You were such a loving and generous father. You draw us close and you give us strength. Father, we pray that you would help us to remind ourselves regularly that you chose us to be your children, that you love us the way that you do, that you are enough, you're all we need. If you're here today and and you haven't accepted Jesus into your life, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Uh, Just pray this to yourself. Jesus, as much as I know how I ask you to forgive me of my sins and and come into my life. I believe that you died for me and were buried for me and that you rose again for me. Defeating death and making a way for me to be with you in heaven forever. Lord, help me to know you and love you and trust you with all that I am. Lord, thank you for what, what you've done and what you're doing here at New Creation. And we just again ask that you would continue to use us for your glory that you would continue to show us why we're here and, and what you have for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.